Jerusalem. And so today, we're going to be wrapping up this series that we call Scatter because I believe it's time. I know Easter's just around the corner. What a time. Last year, we had 194 different people for Easter. It's just a time, you know, I realize that we can look at that and we can say, well, there's the Easter and Christmas Christians and that's all you get. And I understand that. But you know what? When you've got an opportunity and you have extra people there, who knows who God's going to get a hold of and bring them into the kingdom. So we want to do your, do your best. So I've been thinking about all, all that. And so I kind of ran across something interesting today that just a thought that's completely different. I was, I was thinking about how many and so obviously I thought of the old joke, how many mechanics does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> the answer is one, but he's going to suggest you replace the fixture as well. <laughs> how, many, how many procrastinators does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> one, but you have to wait till the light's better before you can do it. How many politicians does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One, to assure everybody that everything possible is being done while the other screws the light bulb into the water faucet. Yeah. How many drummers does it take to change a light bulb? One, two, one, two, three, four. Daniel missed that one. I have to catch him up later. How many psychotherapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light has to be willing to change. Which leads to my true question today. How many Christ followers does it take to bring in the harvest? All of them. All of them. Which leads me to our parable today. I want us to look at Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from round town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled under, underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And it, as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things he called out he who has ears to hear let him hear now we know that this parable must be important because i don't know if you've noticed or not the first week we we read about it in matthew then we read the same parable in mark and today we're reading the the same parable in luke and so i think if it's in the gospel if it's in three different gospels there probably is some pretty important meat there that we should look at and so as we stated all along, that this parable is, is that Jesus is the sower and the gospel is the seed. And that is truly the focus of this. So many times we can get overly focused on the soils and not on the purpose. The idea that we're supposed to scatter seed. We're not supposed to look. We're not, it's not our business to do soil samples. It's our business to scatter seed, whether we think it's good ground or not. 
Because the Bible, now I realize that in this it's talking about Jesus, but guess what? My Bible tells me that we are now the body of Christ and that we are his hands and feet extended, so it is up to us to scatter the seed. You may be saying, well, who farms like that? Who just indiscriminately goes around throwing seed? Well, in the Bible days, that's the way that they farmed. They did it by what they call broadcasting seed. Now, we have machines that do it, but they literally walked the fields throwing seed. And it didn't matter. I mean, they went from boundary to boundary to boundary to boundary on their property. It didn't matter what the, what the ground was. They scattered the seed. And that's what we're supposed to do. Ancient farmers farm like that. We know that in this parable that Jesus farmed like that, which means we're supposed to farm like that. Because the whole idea, we know that Jesus declared that he's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. And so his goal is to save every single person that will yield to the gospel. So we can't be about the business of just scattering See, Well, they're not going to receive it, so I'm going to hold back the seed. Now, that doesn't mean that you're, you need to be tactical. It doesn't mean that you have to be in somebody's face all the time. There are ways to scatter seed that they don't even realize a little seed's been tossed their way. So there's a process to it. So the question I want us to to answer to ourselves is that we're supposed to farm like that, but there's a question I want to go this morning as we wrap this up that's a little beyond that. And that question is this. I believe we need to answer this. Is this gospel, is this seed that we have, that we've been given, is it enough to change a life? How many of you would agree that it is? So here's my next question. I want you right now to picture someone that you know that needs that change. Everybody got that person? Here's my follow-up question. Then why so many times are we so stingy with casting seed towards that individual that just came to your mind? Why? Because if we're convinced that it is the thing that can change a life, then we should be about the business of scattering the seed. And so this story that Jesus told, I've always looked at it from this perspective. I've always looked at it from the context of scattering seed and spiritual rebirth and all that is right and all that is good and all that is what it's supposed to be about. But I was wondering this week, it just hit me from an angle that I never really thought of, Why wouldn't these principles apply beyond the acceptance of the seed? Why why wouldn't those principles apply beyond our salvation? How many know that we we need to continue to grow? We may have let that gospel into our lives, and it may have taken root, but how many know that it's supposed to continue to grow and to take root and to work deeper and to transform our lives? So it's obvious to me that the, that the gospel is the focus, and that, but it's also obvious that from the very first type of soil, the biggest reason that it didn't bring about change was because the soil didn't want the change. See, according to Jesus, much does depend on the soil. Much does depend on the soul. And how well this gospel is received. 
And so if it's true, if that's all true, then why wouldn't the soil continue to matter after salvation? Let that sink in for a moment. Why wouldn't the soil continue to matter after salvation? Do you really want this gospel to change you? Do you really desire this gospel to produce fruit in your life? I think that's a valid question. I think for those of us that are believers, that this is something we need to look at, something we need to identify, something we need to turn our eyes a little more inward and say, do I really want this gospel to change my life? Do I really want this gospel to cause me to bear fruit? Because sometimes the answer is we really don't want to change. So as I worked on this message, I began to look at it from a direction that I wasn't planning on. Do we really want God to change us? Do we really want him to keep on changing us? Do we really want the gospel to make a significant, lasting, noticeable, forever life change? So for and do we want these changes bad enough to allow him to bear fruit in our lives? Here's what I settled on. This isn't the most catchy statement I ever came up with, but to me it says it's the most plain. Because sometimes we don't think of it this way. We can all produce fruit as fertile soil. There is not a person here that you're the, you're the exception to that. God intended, Christ intended every single believer to produce fruit. I can point to scripture after scripture after scripture that backs that point up. We're supposed to produce fruit. And we, if we can all produce good fruit as good soil. If we will allow God to work in us and to change us and to convert us all to good soil. And so I decided to do something different. Today I'm calling this message Good Soil. And yes, I know I've been saying that that our job is to scatter seed and that we're not supposed to be etiphologists, which is the study of soils. It's not our responsibility to go around and checking all the soil. I understand that we're supposed to be the farmers. The farmer's job is to scatter the seed. I understand all that. But just because we said we're not supposed to sample other people's soil doesn't mean that we're not supposed to turn our eyes inward and take a self-soil check and say, what kind of soil am I? Am I the kind of soil that this gospel I've allowed into my life, this gospel that I'm letting take root in my life, am I the kind of soil where, can, where the roots can really go deep and can really reach into every aspect of my life and can really change me and transform me into what I need to be so that I can bear fruit? So with that thought in mind, I'm doing something today completely different than what I initially thought. We're going to walk back through fairly quickly but we're going to walk back through the four types of soil but look at them a little bit from the perspective of someone that has already said yes to the gospel and what kind of soil are we so that gospel can continue to grow and continue to allow the roots to go deeper let's look at Luke 8 verse 5 
A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. In other words, what we're talking about here is we're talking about compacted soil. We're talking about soil that is hard. And as we begin to think about that, how many times, how many people that are supposed to be believers, that if you really boil it down, you really analyze, you really look at it, what they said is, is yes, I want Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. But when you talk about real life changes, the answer is, I want Jesus, but no, I don't want to change anything. And to me, that, to me, that pictures the idea. You know, at first glance, some don't experience change because the change was snatched away by the enemy because it talks about the birds coming and devouring it. And I understand that. That's what Jesus is saying. But the birds are actually the secondary problem if you look at it a little bit closer. The first problem is the soil was so compacted that when the seed hit, it bounced. And it laid on the surface so the birds could come along and snatch it because if the seed gets in the ground then it's not available for the birds to snatch. See, if it bounces, it's an easy meal. The good news is, you ready for some good news? The good news is it's, got, it's possible for God to change soils over time. Some of you would probably say at one point you were pretty hardened to the gospel, but God worked it and he did something in your life to the place that you opened up. You said, you know what? I believe there is something to this. I'm going to let this into my life. I'm going to let it begin to transform me. And that's the good news is God does transform soils. God can take bad soil and turn it into some of the most fertile soil that there is. Christ can break over and turn over the hardest ground that there is. But the bad news is that sometimes good soil can become hardened soil. Sometimes we can be open to the gospel and, and, and Christ can come in and things can begin to happen. But we allow ourselves to distance. All of a sudden that softness that allowed the roots of the gospel to reach in and to begin to change things in our life and begin to work in our life. We can begin to harden our hearts towards it. We can separate ourselves. We can become compacted soil even though we're supposed to be a believer. Even though we're supposed to be saved. All of a sudden we draw the line and say, you know what? I am done with him changing my life. And then we can become all of a sudden we're not the good soul we used to be. See, good seeds of change that once penetrated our hearts now bounce off and become bird food. Think of this. If you think a message on scattering seed is for the birds you might be hardened ground. Matter of fact, hardened ground is dangerous ground. When we are no longer willing to let the gospel change us, even though we consider ourselves saved, we're in the danger zone. Let me look at it, we should look at it this way. Sometimes you see, I've tried to work with couples before they're having marriage issues and there's times we've done it we've seen some really neat success but then there's been times that that we come along and and a couple says that they that they want 
to get things right. They want to work on their marriage. And you sit down and you talk to them. And you begin to identify things. And you try to play things as neutral and as open-minded as you can. But sometimes you see one that shows up on the scene and they have absolutely no intention of changing anything. There's such hardened soil that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what kind of homework you give them to do in the process and to come back, there's always a reason none of it's ever done. And at some point, there have been times we've had to say, you know what, there is nothing we can do to help you because you're not willing to change. A hardened heart and hardened soil is dangerous ground. So here's what we need to look at. You know, we, we, it takes a personal, it's, it's important for us to take personal soil samples and ask ourselves, do we really value spiritual growth? Is that something that is on our radar? Do we value spiritual growth to the point that even if it's something uncomfortable, we realize that it is worth the effort, that it's worth the discomfort, that we will press on because we know that the outcome, that the end is greater then the pain, temporary pain, we may have to endure to get there. We have to ask ourselves, am I willing to change? Or do I expect others around me to change instead? Have I accepted what God is telling me to do? See, like I said, we all can produce good fruit as fertile soil. But that's the key. We have to allow the Lord to break up those hard places. So we talked about the first factor here that, that thwarts is a life change. And sometimes people just don't want to change. But let's look at the next thing here. There's another problem that's found in Luke 8, 13. As Jesus is explaining what this parable means to his, to his disciples. And he says this, this is one, the one and the ones on the rock were those, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, in a time of testing, fall away. You know what I see there when I read that? I see shallow change. I see someone that says, you know what? Okay, I'll take a little bit, but deep change is not allowed. Now, we talked about, we talked about the different grounds, how that crops can start in a kind of rocky soil and how that in the area that this is talking about where Jesus was speaking, that there's a, there's a lot geologically, there's lots of ground that looks really good fertile ground on the surface, but the topsoil is very, very thin because of the rocky terrain, there's a lot of hardened ground underneath. And so the seed penetrates, it gets in, it begins to grow, things begin to happen, but because of the solidness and the hardness of the ground under, underneath, it's just a shallow change that begins to take place. The plant begins to grow. As the seed germinates, and, and, and there's, but there's no deep root. And what you, we see is, is, is growth that is superficial at best and temporary at worst. And yes, as I said, Jesus is talking about the gospel here. But let's think about this. The purpose of the soil. What is the purpose of the soil? The purpose of the soil is to bear fruit. 
And so if there's a lack of fruit, there is something wrong with the soil. Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was bearing no fruit. The seed in the shallow soil starts well and it germinates, but something, something happens. And so couldn't this idea, I want you to think about this, couldn't the idea of hardening yourself against deeper change be the problem in our lives? The seed of the gospel is intended to, it's intended to penetrate deeper and deeper and it's supposed to be a lifelong process of changing us. You know what? We don't arrive until we have arrived. None of us get there. None of us are perfection. None of us have it all worked out. We may be a little bit further along than somebody else or a little bit deeper in the process, but we're all still working on things. I, I trust me. Every time I think I got it together, the Lord says, oh, well, what about this over here? It's a lifelong process. We have to let the root get in and dig deeper and continue. It's a lifelong thing. Then until we get there, we're not there. It's for our whole earthly life, and we can, we can hinder that change because the roots of the gospel aren't allowed to penetrate very deep. It's a shallow change. Lord, I want your salvation. Lord, I want you to clean some things up in my life. Lord, I've got these needs on the surface that I want you to take care of. And the moment, listen to me, the moment we feel like those needs are taken care of, all of a sudden what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life hits the rocks. And we say, no further. I'm good. My needs are taken care of. Guess what? It's not about you. Yes, Jesus died for you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus desires you with all of his heart. But you know what he also desires? He also desires for you to bear fruit so that more people like you can come into the kingdom. Let me ask you this. If we don't allow him to change us, the goal of a producing a harvest is unmet and bad habits will return because if you're not pressing forward in Christ, you're sliding backwards in Christ. We were praying over that this morning and Kim kind of brought up a, a good illustration. It's kind of like when you go to the mall, you can go up the down escalator, but if you stand still, you're going backwards. In Christ, we must continue to press on for our whole life. Let me ask you this. What happens to fruit that lies on the ground doing nothing? It rots. It withers. We all need the gospel to take deep root in our lives for change. Change is the lifestyle of the gospel. How many of you have had a... Let me ask you this. How many of you have had a uh, Fitbit? I've got a Fitbit watch on right now. It's cool. It syncs to my phone. It does all this stuff. And, and uh, I can not only tell time, which a watch should do, right? But, I mean, it tracks steps. It estimates. I mean, it's got a heart rate monitor. It estimates how many steps I've taken in a day, how many calories I've burned, all that stuff. A neat tool, right? And for a while, it was all the craze. Everybody was wearing them. 
And I still wear mine some, but there was a period of time that I was using it. Now, and I'll admit at the time I had some success because I was very strict, but I noticed something. Matter of fact, in 2016, a study was done on this, and they found out that people that had Fitbits and those type of things actually lost less weight than those who were just on their own good workout schedule and, and eating right and all those things. And, and one of the things they discovered that I found to be true in my life was there were times that, hey, I made my 10,000 steps. That cherry pie, I burned it off. <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is that wearable technology on the outside didn't bring about a life change. It was just a tool to use. So let me take that a step further. Just wearing spiritual practices won't make us spiritually fit. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. Just wearing spiritual practices won't make us spiritually fit. Oh, we can show up and we can say, speak all the Christianese. We can call each other brother and sister. We can say all the holy words. We can even raise our hand if they're playing the right song that we like a little bit. But if it's just the outside dressing, then you're not spiritually fit. See? Just going to church isn't getting it done. You have to be open to let the gospel do something in your life. It requires the seed of the gospel to take root deeply and to change our hearts until we reach the point where bearing fruit becomes a lifestyle. Just like if you're really going to change your health, it has to become a lifestyle. It's the same thing spiritually. And if, we're, if you aren't going deeper and God isn't changing things, then take a soil sample and ask, am I changing my outward behavior or is it more of a spiritual work to be done in my life? What rocks are in the way of the deeper things that God wants to do? I, I want to let these roots grow deeper because we all have stuff that we need to get out of the way. We all have rocks in our garden. Matter of fact, Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Rocks are heavy, right? Sometimes we've got to dig those things out and lay them aside. And it says, And the sin which clings so closely, and some of them are pretty clingy, Right? But we need to be willing to set those things aside to help make us the fertile soil that we need to be and let us run with endurance. In other words, that's continuing on the race that is set before us. But there's a third factor that gets in the way of the life change of the gospel to me that in some ways is the one that's the most tragic. Let's look at verse 14. And as for what fell... On the, among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Another word, it's the life that's uncultivated. 
See, change can come, but change sometimes isn't cultivated, so it doesn't last. A good crop can be overtaken, as Jesus said, by poor soil and undesirable plants that choke it out. You know, we've got our house on the market right now because we don't need a large house with four bedrooms when there's just the two of us and a dog. We've decided it's time. But that meant a lot of work. That meant that I had to make the front of the house, you know, as much as I don't really care for that kind of thing, I had to make my flower bed look good out front. That's work. I mean, because there's all kinds of things that want to grow in there, and you think, I mean, you can get it cleaned up and looking good, but if you don't start pulling some of the roots out and do some work. Now, we didn't go as far as we could because as far as I was concerned, this was temporary. The next people can do what they want there. But in our lives, it's very important to get the roots of things out. And many times, what we see is is this fight for the nutrients in our lives that that wants to suck the things out that God wants to do in our lives and and the fight against the thorns and the the lack of nutrients. And and even many times that those plants survive, there is little or no fruit. Jesus himself compares these invasive plants as life's worries and riches and pleasures. And and what do we do? We think of thorns. When he mentions thorns, we think of, of worries and we think of hardships. But Jesus says that wealth and comfort and the pursuit of those things can choke out the growth as well. This isn't a life, you know, sometimes we get our priorities in the wrong place. We need to be looking towards what can I do to become a place of good seed. And spiritual growth in Christ must be cultivated. It doesn't just happen. We can become entangled in other things and have fruitful, that keep us from fruitful growth. And, and what happens literally is the light of the sun is blocked by the cares of this world. It can happen to all of us. You know, but here's the thing that, that I find interesting. Have you ever noticed that too much comfort is actually dangerous? I was working on this, and, and I ran across a story that I thought was just incredible. Did you know, this is, this is so funny, did you know that the University of California at Berkeley, not the best school in the world, but they got this one right, they did, they did an experiment some time ago that, that involved an amoeba. And so they took a dish, and they made sure that the conditions were perfect for this amoeba. They put the amoeba in the dish. They made sure that the temperature was perfect. They made sure that the moisture level was perfect. They made sure that there was no competition for food, and there was plenty of food for it. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, the, the little amoeba was in par- amoeba paradise. No competition for anything. It died. Let that sink in for a moment. It died. The amoeba obituary would have said died of perfect comfort. (laughs) See, the truth is, no matter how comfortable you want to 
be, no matter how much you seek comfort and pleasure, you will never, ever find enough. What's more important is purpose. Something that makes you want to get up in the morning. Something that drives you. And if we get that right and our purpose becomes spreading fruit for the gospel. And I'm not bragging that I'm perfect. I don't have it all together. Trust me. But there is something about purpose that will get you up. My alarm was set for 5 o'clock this morning. I was up at 4.30. It's Sunday. Let's go get this thing done. So there's something about it. Here's, let me give you another one. The Atlantic Monthly of, had a, ran an article in 2011 that said this. And here's the, here's the headline of the article. How to land your kids in therapy. And the essence of the article was give them everything you can to make them happy. Let that sink in. We should be teaching them a purpose. Look where we're at today. Everything's about making everybody happy and comfortable and not hurting anybody's feelings. Yet we live in a time where people's feelings are hurt more easily than ever. We teach them that they're a cosmic accident, that there is no purpose in this life. Get all the joy and pleasure out of it. You can while you're here because once you're done, you're done, that's it. And yet we have more messed up society than ever before because there's no sense of purpose. Life lived in pursuit of happiness will never find it. So I begin to move towards wrapping up in just a moment. Pastor Matt Woodley tells the story of his son that I thought was pretty cool. His son was involved in this paintball team. And so they, they, they did well and they advanced and, and they moved forward. And, they, and so they, they made it to this like playoff system. So they had these matches against other teams and, and there was a coach and everything. And so he, the, the pastor went to this match where his son was a part of it. So he's watching this. He's enthusiastic to cheer his son on. And so the, the match starts and the teams are advancing and paintballs are flying everywhere. And the coach is yelling out instructions to his team to try to maneuver them and, and position them. But to the pastor's surprise, he realized that while that was going on, that the, the parents and the people of the opposing side were trying to yell over the coach false instructions. And he thought, well, that's rude. That's, that's not right. They're trying to cheat. And so when the match was over with, he pulled his son aside. He said, what was that? He goes, How, what kind of bad sports are they? And the son made a statement. He said, oh, Dad, that's just part of the game. It's called counter-coaching. <laughs> Life's embarrassing moments. But the, uh, so he's, the coach, his son says, this is counter, it's called counter coaching. He's like, counter coaching? He said, oh yeah, he said, the strategy is 
to tune everything out, else out, and know the voice of your coach. We live in a world where our society is counter-coaching us all the time. And we've got to know that voice and respond to that voice. But here's the good news. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Can I tell you this? If you're compacted soil, if you're shallow soil, or if you're uncultivated soil, it's harder to hear the voice. But you allow him to make you into good soil, that voice stands out. I can honestly say, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying I'm perfect. But over the last few decades, I've really learned what that voice is like. And I've never fallen on my face when I follow that voice. When I fall on my fa- face is when I ignore that voice. Or I let some competing voice talk me into something else. So take a soil sample. So we close, look at this, Luke 8, 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast and honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I love that last part. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. What another way of saying good soil. And bear fruit with patience. It takes a while to cultivate good soil. We have to be patient. But you know the good thing is? Good soil is real. Good soil is lasting. And good soil is fruitful. And I noticed that some of the others had talked about tenfold, twentyfold, and and it kind of ran a list of numbers. But I noticed that in Luke, he only says it produced a harvest a hundredfold. Think about that. I did a little research. Tenfold and twentyfold were considered a really, really good harvest. A hundredfold was miracle level. And if you do the math, that's a 10,000% increase. That's miracle territory. And that's the climax of Jesus' story here is the good, the good soil produced a hundredfold. First, the other kinds of types of soil, they were inadequate. But farmers that plant, their goal is one thing, not to make pretty-looking plants, but to make fruitful plants. John 15, 7 and 8, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove 
to be my disciples. That's the goal of it all. So this morning, see, none of us are perfect. We fall, we stumble. If we're honest, on some days we're probably compacted soil. On some days we're shallow soil. And on some days we're good soil. I know that we have seasons in our life. There's no perfect Christians. There's no sinless disciples. There's no ones whose heart is always pure. There's nobody that produces good fruit at every single moment. But that should be our goal. I'm going to end with this. C.S. Lewis, because this is so good, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I know they were movies, but you know, you really read the books, you really get down to it. There's a lot of parallels with the gospel, and they were on purpose. Aslan the lion was representative of Christ. And there's a scene that not in the first part where, where in the Chronicles of they, they went, but the second time they went. It was supposed to be a year later. And so they go through, and it's just been a year, and they step back into Narnia, and things, so many things have changed, and there's, there's all kinds of turmoil and things going on. And, and finally, after a little bit, Lucy sees Aslan and runs up to him and throws her arms around him and hugs him and presses herself in. And then she steps back. I mean, she's a year older now. She steps back and says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan's response is very interesting. He says, that's because you're older, little, little one. And she's thinking in her mind, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be bigger, so you should seem smaller. Why is it you seem bigger? And I love his response. Because she says, well, you're older too. He says, I'm not. Get this, but each year you grow, you will find me bigger. The more we allow the seed of his word to grow in our hearts, the bigger we will find him. Because when we first get saved, he's the God of my salvation. But the more we press in and the more we get to know him, we find out he's the God of everything. The more we allow his seed of his word to grow in our hearts, the bigger we will find him. We can all produce good fruit as fertile soil.